What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. And welcome to the bestseller experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish, and publish your book. I'm Mark Stay. And I'm Mark DeVoe. And we want to thank all of you lovely listeners who are joining us again for another lovely, fun, amazing episode of the bestseller experiment. And thank you to all of our patrons and all of our oh, bestseller yes. academy members. Oh, yes. That make this podcast possible if you're interested in joining the bestseller academy. Doors are now open for 2022 mm. and you have to apply in December. So get over to the website academy.bestsellerexperiment.com if you would like to make 2022 the year that you start, finish or publish that book. So Mr. Stay, how are you feeling this week, sir? You've had you've had quite the week. I mean, just chucking COVID into it. If you heard last week, you might have heard that Mark showed up to the recording having just <laughs> just got the uh, the results from a, a positive COVID test. But you had a few other things going on this week as well, didn't you? It's been one one of the strangest weeks of my life. It's just bizarre. And, and apologies, listeners. I might I sound a bit gruff. I sound gruffer this week than I did last week. But I've I've got still got a couple of days of isolation to go to go. But if you make me laugh, I'll sound like Muttley from Dastardly <laughs> Muttley. <laughs> there, there we go. Yeah, stop the pigeon. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been a week. Uh, so uh, I've been isolated, so I can move from here the office to the bedroom, which is no you know it's it's not exactly um, Alcatraz. Um, and then we had the launch party with Quee for the book which was great fun. We've yeah, had that, reactions. Was, that was loads of fun. I, I, I jumped in on that and it was just, Queeve is always such good value, isn't oh, he? he's and terrific. What a great guy to have a, on a book launch. Absolutely and fantastic, yeah. We've had reactions to the trailer, which have been uh, terrific. People have really enjoyed it. Um, yesterday, here's a first, I, I had a day off. I didn't, I didn't do any writing. I didn't really do any work. I answered a couple of emails. I sat down and picked an Elmore Leonard novel at random, Swag, which was written in 1976, and just read the whole thing from beginning, from cover to cover wow. uh, in, in the whole day, which I'd never read before. Really enjoyed it. So that was strange. I just thought, I'm going to, oh. Good for you, maybe, man. Maybe I should slow down and stop for that. <laughs> Good weird. for you. Do you know, yeah. it's it's actually so important just to give yourself, I know we all try and take time off and, the, you know, lunch breaks and the old, you know, net. Netflix show or whatever in the evening, but it's sometimes really lovely just to wake up in the morning. I did that. I did that the week before when it was my birthday. I just thought, you know, I'm just taking the day off because yeah. I just, I just want to give my brain a rest because my brain doesn't yeah. stop. It's just always <laughs> going. Um, but I like to, I like the fact, and then, you know, you've got COVID, so, you know, you've got to, uh, you've got to look after yourself, right? Well, I mean, it's just good. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've, I feel I feel like I'm over the worst of it, but I, I did the antibody test to, today. Have you have you done the antibody? Well, tell me what the antibody test is. Well, how does that work? So you you basically give you give you send them some of your blood, 
uh, and then it goes off and they they check it to see if you've had covid before so it's an oh. optional extra you don't have to do it right. but i thought oh actually i'd be i'd be interested to know if i have had it before and what you have to do you have to prick your finger one of those little clicky things and then mm-hmm. you put it in this tiny little vial and it said start with your ring finger so i did clicked it couple of drops oh oh, okay and you you know you have to do jumping jacks before and you put your hand in warm water and you're flexing you know i thought oh okay so i did the finger next step hmm oh hardly any then i did my index finger and suddenly i'm on the set of a sam peckinpah movie there's blood everywhere (laughs) i can't get it in quick enough and i put the lid on and there's blood all over the uh, the box they're gonna that's gonna arrive that i put in the post honestly it it's like a prop from a tarantino movie just blood it so that was fun so i did that today i had to to mop down the kitchen mop all the blood off the walls (laughs) and the work services and and you know so that was fun um and then uh we had the cover reveal for the third Woodville book today, The Ghost of Ivy Barn. And, and I'm blessed with uh, a fantastic cover artist, Harry Goldhawk. And the cover for that is just breathtaking. And I've, I, I've seen all three of them there together next to each other. It looks just amazing. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Well, hang on. That's, and- this is really interesting because last week you were lo- releasing book two. This blows me yes. away. <laughs> a week later, you're doing a cover reveal for book three. This is like proper like factory production line happening. In- that's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the next book is in May, so I think they, they just don't want to muck about. But this is, this is compared to Germany... You talk about German efficiency. I, I've also got, I was sent a link, and we we haven't revealed them yet, but I've I've seen them. I was sent a link to the three German covers, which are being published by Hein in Germany. And the, so, with these beautiful covers, rewind, rewind. they're very different. So the three of them. So this, they're basically. In, so book one's getting released in Germany first. Is that right? Is this like they, book one didn't get released at the same time as the UK? No, 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 no. They've. Um, these are German language versions. Uh, uh, Sabine Thiel is the person who has translated them. And uh, they're, they're coming. First one's coming in April. Second one is June. What? And the third one is August next year. So boom, what? boom, boom. That's yeah. like three books in yeah. not even what? A, a quarter of a year almost. Yeah. That's bonkers. Yeah. It's incredible. And they've changed they've changed the title. The translation has changed the titles, which I, I love. I really, really love. Have you put so, it into Google Translate? See what it I oh, oh way ahead of you. <laughs> way ahead of you, Mr. D. Way, way ahead of you. Go on, tell so do you know what they are? <clears throat> yeah. So um the crow folk has become a Ravenzauber, which means raven magic, which I love. Which is that's great. nice. That's yeah. oh, I like yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, babes in the wood has become Nachtzauber. Now this, hang magic. on a minute. Say so, so, night magic. Yeah. Of, yeah, of the three titles, that could be the one that could have gone horrendously wrong when you <laughs> you converted it back. <laughs> that's brilliant. And the third one. So the well, third hang on. One. Before you do it, people might not even know what the third one is because you only revealed. I remember at the very end of your book launch last week, you actually yes. like said, hang on a minute, you promised you were going to give us. So people haven't <laughs> even heard, unless they've seen the cover, obviously, by the time this podcast comes out. But what's the actual English title of the third book? The Ghost of Ivy Barn. Mm, very, okay. very good. Right. Excellent. So, <clears throat> so what the third- earth does that come to in German? <laughs> Geisterzauber, ghost magic. So you got, oh, I see. There's a got, theme. Yeah, raven magic, night magic, ghost magic. I love it. I absolutely love it. It's it's a it's a you know I've I've had um, 
I mean, Robot Overlords was translated into French and uh, Polish, um, and they basically took the film uh, titles for those. But with this, you know, we've got Sabine, who is the translator, who, you know, translators, they're not just people who put things into Google Translate and hit print. You know, it's a creative process, and, and there's clearly creative thinking behind this. So it's really exciting, really, really exciting. Now, now for anyone that- who's ever wanted, has ever dreamed of having their book translated into another language or many languages, I'm guessing how, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, but you, you've signed the three book deal with Simon and Schuster. Mm. Is this now a German, is this Simon and Schuster in Germany or did, did they sell no. the German rights to a completely different publisher my, in Germany? We, we retained all those rights and my agent sold those rights uh, to Heine, who are part of uh, Penguin Random House. It's the same Ooh. publisher as a lot of fantasy authors. So Ben Aronovich, I think, is Heine. Brilliant. Um, I think Joe Abercrombie might be Heine as well uh, in Germany. So, you know, it's a it's That's a huge. Pretty, That's pretty massive. Yeah. Germany's not a tiny country. I mean, it's, biggest, it's got it's pretty, the, and it's the biggest reading public in all of Europe. I think Germany is first, Ireland is second. So per capita, more people read books in Germany than in any other country. And I know lots of authors who aren't that well known over here, but are huge in Germany. Well, I mean, it's 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 the Knight Rider effect, isn't it, Mister Hasselhoff? Hasselhoff. <laughs> I can only you just, wish. You have I can to only wear wish a, for a, if you a want, tiny percentage of David right, Hasselhoff's I've got a challenge for you. I've got a new challenge for you for 2022. If okay, if your book does better in Germany than it does in England, will you show up to the podcast recording in a Hasselhoff costume on the day that you get that figure? Well, he wore he wore quite smart leather jackets. I don't well, know if I can, tight I can leather do the trousers perm. as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's a deal. Okay, okay. <laughs> so I was going to say if you said no, I was going to put it to the public. I was going to say, should we phone an audience? Um, okay, so for anyone who's like, what on earth are they talking about? Knight Rider, David Hassels. There is this there is this incredible phenomenon in Germany. Now, I'm I'm part German. My mum's German, but. Um, David Hasselhoff, Baywatch fame, everyone will remember that, Pamela Anderson, years gone by. Knight Rider, obviously, who can forget the Hoff? But he had a, or has, I think it's still going actually, a music career as a, an artist. And he is absolutely massive in Deutschland. He's huge in Germany. There's just something about the Hoff and Germans. They love him. And and he's like massive, massive, massive music superstar. And I, I don't know if it's anywhere else. It's probably in other um, European countries. But that's what I want to talk about, the Hoff phenomenon. That's what we're hoping for. Wasn't it Looking for Freedom was the big song that he did, wasn't it? Because when can, the Berlin can, Wall came down, he honestly, had a huge hit. Honestly, that, I can say it? I've never once heard <laughs> one of his songs, <laughs> which I feel embarrassed to say. Um, or proud of to say, uh, depending on you know whether the Hoff wants to come on the show and tell us about his success <laughs> and give you some tips. Um, but no, I think um, I think it's amazing. And actually, weirdly enough, enough, uh, one of uh, a group that I knew when I was starting out in music in Cambridge in England, there was this local pub called the Portland Arms. So big up to the Portland Arms in Cambridge. They had these brilliant little open mic nights, and then you'd kind of play to like a hundred people. And there was there was a couple of bo- uh, guys there. One was called Booger and. Ezra, I think, and the two of them would do these kind of small gigs, you know, 50 people, a couple of guitars, two guys, lovely voices. 
Then they would fly to Germany and they would mm. perform in front of like 10,000 people. Yeah. It was yeah. just like they were local Canadian, uh, local uh, Cambridge based musicians who were just massive in Germany. And so it, you never know, it could yeah. happen. Like, yeah. Now, how about fantasy in Germany? Is fantasy a big thing in Germany? Very big, very, very big. Yeah. Oh, a lot of lot of those authors good. do really, really well. Really, really good. I can't so. wait. Well, here we go. The German adventure, the European tour continues. European. <laughs> any any German listeners to the podcast, drop us a note. Say hello. Tell us whereabouts you're based. Mm. Um and uh, and tell us whether you like the Hoff or not. That's what I want to really know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> brilliant stuff. Oh my gosh. Uh, well, after we uh, after we do our incredible kind of interview, we're going to do a bit of a post. And there's a few things. So people who heard last week that about Mark's trailer, um, this is becoming a bit like the Mark Stay podcast, isn't it? Bloody hell, mate. You Sorry. better slow down. I will. I, yes. I need to. I need to catch up. I need to start. I need to start like <laughs> publishing a few books. But um, the really interesting thing is the trailer went live last week for Mark's movie that's coming out at some point early-ish next year. We don't know exact dates yet. And uh, the movie's called Unwelcome. It's coming out uh, under Warner, which is massive. The I know that you probably are avoiding the, the trailer mark, but the official trailer on YouTube is almost up to half a million views. Mm. And that's just the official trailer. So there's, it is really rocketed in less yeah. than a week. It's up to half a million. But after we've done our post chat about the interview today, I've got a couple of quotes because Mark says he won't oh, read no. any of the comments, I but I have. I I've it. been in there every day. I've been having a good old laugh. So I've picked a few <laughs> choice ones out to share with you. Just the Mark. I, I'll be oh, your filter, no. Mark. But so if you want to listen to that, check in after the interview. Um, but Mr. State, is there anything else that you were, that, that's been going on this week? Because you've, you've also been, pitching more books i hear yeah well this this is it and in in the honest and open experimental style of of the podcast uh, this is something a lot of authors don't like to talk about in case it all goes horribly wrong but i have i've been working hard uh, putting together a pitch for the next three woodville books and there's absolutely no guarantee the publisher will go for them you know so uh i've been putting those together uh sent them to my agent who likes them very much and off we go so the negotiations begin uh but it all came together really i as long-term listeners will probably know um i do like to have a good log line or central dramatic argument that kind of thematic thing so once i had that that basically the log line for the each you know story four five and six um it kind of all came together so it's something we've been talking about in the academy today after Katie Khan's episode last week where she has that X plus Y kind of pitch thing and we were talking about that. We have a post-podcast chat on the Academy with Academates where we talk about the previous week's podcast and we were talking about this whole thing of having a line, having a log line and having you know a title and uh, a paragraph with which to sell it and that's how it kind of sells itself forward. So that's what I've been working on. So um, it's it's out there. Uh, keep everything crossed. If, oh my if gosh. not, if not, three was lovely, um, but four, five, six would be even better. But we'll see. Oh my gosh! No, this is going to continue. You've got, you've got to put it out there. So you've got to make mm. it. Just know that it's going to happen. It's very, very exciting. And talking about making it happen, there's been such an interesting uh, discussion that's gone on uh, in today's interview with the most. Oh, it's, it's, I love this one, Mark, because it's about two co-authors, which is very, very oh, close yeah. to our heart. <laughs> so tell us about tell us about Christine Pride and Joe Piazza. Well, this is a combination we've never had before. We've got an editor and one of her authors writing a, a novel together. 
So uh, Christine Pride is an editor with over 15 years' experience working for the likes of Doubleday, Crown, Hyperion, Simon & Schuster. Jo Piazza is an award-winning journalist, and she's the best-selling author of nine books, including Charlotte Walsh Likes to Win, The Knockoff, How to Be Married. Together, they've co-written the novel We Are Not Like Them, which is the story of two friends, Riley and Jen, and one is white, the other is black. And then Jen's husband, a Philadelphia police officer, is involved in the shooting of an unarmed black teenager, and everything about their friendship changes. So we discuss tips for writing as a pair, how they research the novel, and the challenge of writing the two perspectives of Riley and Jen, and it's absolutely fascinating. Brilliant. And uh, there will be many discussions about... um outlines <laughs> after we've oh, yeah. listened in so let's dive in and listen to christine pride and joe piazza christine joe welcome to the podcast uh so wonderful to see you both how are you both today we're good thanks for having us we're really good yeah well it's our absolute pleasure and i gotta say this all started uh with an email from a publicist and the header on the email said the most important novel you will read this year <laughs> And I, I, and I thought, okay, okay, that's that's a that's a publicist laying on the hyperbole. You can't ignore that. <laughs> exactly. But the more I read about your novel, we are not like them. I began to think actually they might be on the money. So can you can you tell the listeners about how you both know one another and how your novel We Are Not Like Them came about? Yeah, I'll do. I'll do our meet cute. Um, Christine <laughs> was my editor for my last book, uh, my last novel. Charlotte Walsh likes to win uh, at Simon and Schuster, and we became fast friends. We worked really well together. We liked working together, and then we did a second project, which was uh, tie into the television show Younger, um, a novel that was featured on the show, and then they wanted to make a like novel in real life called Marriage Vacation. And we had to do that in four weeks because of the publishing schedule for the show. Wow. And I mean, that was just, I mean, it was trial by fire. (laughs) So fast. And so we were just both like living in this Google document all all day long. And right after that, we said, oh, we want to, maybe it was Stockholm Syndrome, right? We're Mm -hmm. like, we want to be together forever. We want to keep working together. And Christine had had this idea for years. she wanted to write a novel about interracial friendships, specifically about an interracial friendship informed by one of the friends being married to a police officer. Um, and what would happen if that police officer shot a black man? And would the friendship survive that? And she told me, she brought me on board. And I was, you know, at first I was like, can't we just write something about like a girl's road trip? <laughs> <laughs> something happy <laughs> but this book felt really important to me and the subject matter from the very beginning um and so that's how it was born and here we are three years later three with a book in the world <laughs> <laughs> we're soon to be in the world there excited. we're so excited i mean r- writing a novel is hard enough co-writing a novel i mean myself and my co-presenter mark devoe we wrote a novel together and we agreed never to do it again for the sake of our friendship. And I believe on top of all this, you were writing during the pandemic. Uh, how hard was this? So hard. so hard. I mean, you speak the truth there. I mean, there are so many levels of how hard it is, right? Because it's really hard to write a book, period, which 
is came as something of a shock to me being an editor for 20 years. I she was, was like, shocked. Oh, wow. This is very, very hard. Uh, so that part's hard. And then it's hard to collaborate no matter what you're writing, right? To figure out the logistics and the timing and the process and the technology, right? You have to do all that. And then the subject matter is hard, right? You're then tackling a book about race as a Black woman and a white woman. Um, and so that brought up all kinds of discussions and issues. And so you're right. It's not easy. And I think, you know, to your point, it's easy to either give up or say that we're never going to do this again because it can get that challenging. I think the one thing that kept Joe and I going is that we really believed in the mission of this book. Like we weren't writing about puppies on a road trip or what have you, which are lovely ideas and books. We're into it. But we were trying to do something that we felt, we hoped, would have a big impact in the world. And so it, it, we wanted to lean into all of that. And that when it was hard, that just kept us going like, okay, you know, we have this goal. We have this vision at the end of the road. We just have to get to the end of the road. And we did. And we did. And we did. As Christine said, it was hard. We had to learn so many different ways to communicate with one another, Mm -hmm. because as a writer, you're very vulnerable and you're used to being alone and you create something and you think it's really, really good in your head. And then someone comes along and erases it. And you're like, it's gone. And you're like, but it wasn't very good. Um, so we had to come up with a shorthand mm-hmm. for how to communicate what meant something to us and how to keep it. And, you know, what's really interesting is there were moments where we're like, we're not, we're done. We're just, or we'll get through this book, but we're not. The second book is not happening. <laughs> but we actually got to a place where we were very good at doing this together mm-hmm. and very happy and very content. And now we're going to continue doing this together. We really enjoy it. And we do. I, having written books solo before, I probably will go back at some point. I don't want to right now because it's nice to have a companion to go through this with, to go through this process. When you get it working the right way, mm-hmm. it's really wonderful to have an ally through the entire lonely, both writing and then the publishing process. So much easier to do all of these virtual events with somebody, somebody sure. else. And travel together, you know, I mean, it's just, I imagine I've never done it before because this is the first book I've written and I wrote it with Joe, but I can imagine that writing is a very lonely process, right? Um, that you're just kind of in your room or the coffee shop or whatever, like alone with your thoughts and ideas. Um, and as an editor, I've always really loved the back and forth, the dynamic process of talking about ideas and bouncing things off and, you know, talking about characters. And so I couldn't imagine not being able to do that with, with somebody as, you know, a book was developing. Uh, Christine, you were Joe's editor. As you were exchanging, you know, ideas and, and prose and what have you, was it difficult to turn that editor head off? Because you must, I, my editor knows all my bad habits. So you must know all of Joe's bad habits. You know? So <laughs> were you sitting there thinking, oh, she's doing that thing again? Was it was it difficult to switch that off or, or did you not? Well, I was too busy developing my own bad habits. <laughs> First off, loves an M dash. I love it so much. So but she much. also can't make it properly. <laughs> so she loves them and they're all over the place where it's frankly, like two little dash dash. There shouldn't be M dashes, but then she doesn't even make them properly and it drives me insane. <laughs> it's true. So much so that I got her a coffee mug that says, How do you make an M dash <laughs> control alt line? Yeah. And I still don't do it. 
No, no. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think in the beginning we did revert to our old roles a little bit more, right? Because I was truly, truly, truly terrified of the blank page. Like, give me words to work on and I can mm. move them around, finesse, come up with ideas. But just staring at a white screen was just, it was really daunting to me. And Joe is very good at uh, the blank screen uh, and can get words on the page and really has a lot of drive and discipline. And she's so hardworking. And so um, we would start that way, right? Like, so Joe would put a bunch of words on the page and then I would come through and edit. And then gradually over time, I think those roles broke down as I got more comfortable with the blank page and felt more confident about, okay, I can go in and start this chapter now. Um, and as Joe got, I think better at editing other people's work, right? I mean, she's always been good at editing her own work and going back through, but then she could also, um, you know, have the distance to go back through our book together. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it just ended up being a journey, but we refined our roles in the process as we went. Um, And so by the time we finished this book and now are starting our, you know, like a third of the way into another book, it feels much more seamless. We got all those kinks worked out, the learning curve, and that's just unavoidable. You have to figure that out as you go. Yeah. And not just because I've been an editor, I've been a magazine editor for a long time. Um, And, but you're, you're, you know, you're, it's different than being a book editor. I feel like, you know, I kind of came on the more Prada age of like, I was not good with like kind feedback either. I'm like, I just don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Fix it. <laughs> um, and yeah, like we, we had to develop so many new muscles and then layer that with, we had to talk about race, which is not easy. Mm-hmm. In terms of knowing where you were both going, did you outline the story beforehand or were you just kind of, how did that process work? We had a very detailed outline, especially since we sold this book in a partial. So we had about a hundred pages and then we had a very detailed synopsis chapter by chapter of what was going to happen next through the rest of the book. And so that served basically as our blueprint as we wrote it, particularly since our book has such a tight structure of two characters, Riley and Jen, going back and forth uh, chapter by chapter. So we had to work out the mechanics so that certain plot points were happening in certain chapters based on the particular point of view that we needed them to happen in. You know, so we had to put together that puzzle before we started. But then it also made it easier for us to write together because we knew what it was going to be. So it was like, okay, we have the scenes. It just was a matter of somebody going into the Google Doc and starting to flush them out. Excellent stuff. Now, as you said, that the, the story is told from these two points of view, Jen and Riley. What were the biggest challenges of writing those two different perspectives, particularly as you've got a white woman and a black woman? And, and speaking as a well-meaning white person who will put his foot in it, you know, uh, it's, uh, you know, what were the, what were the challenges of, of, of getting it right, getting those perspectives right? So many. And I also, you know, I think that saying that what you just said with the British accent makes it so much more adorable. Like yeah. as a well-meaning white person who's, um, I'm trying to think about like a white man saying that American accent. Yeah. It's not quite as well. Um, well, I mean, like, as white people, and I'm very honest about this in all of our interviews, there's a lot of fear. And in the past few years that has been labeled as white fragility too, which and I don't love that term. I'm like, because I'm, I'm genuinely afraid. I'm gen- I don't want to insult anyone. I don't mm. want to hurt my friend's feelings. Mm. I don't want to say the wrong thing. And so it's not that I don't want to confront race. Um, 
I'm also like an academic. Like I want to, I want to talk about these things, but my fear and anxiety is because I don't want to hurt my friendship. I love my friend. Mm -hmm. And so, and talking about race is not something I've had to do before, which is a privilege as a white woman. So I don't necessarily have the language or even for a long time, I didn't know how to start the conversations. And for Christine, of course, that's frustrating because she's been having these conversations her entire life. Mm. Um, And for her, it was frustrating that like, I would get defensive sometimes because I felt like I was being attacked because I think race has become such a fraught thing too. And so you're, you're put on the defensive and then I'm defensive. And then Christine's like, that's a terrible reaction. Like now I don't want to talk about this with her. Now it's annoying. And so there was just like so much, so many elephants in the room at that point. A whole zoo. And we had, and then we had to be really intentional you know, there were tersely worded emails, there were tears, there were some, there was some silence and the silence becomes a big part of the book too. And we had to be really intentional about saying, all right, let's start from scratch. Why did you feel this way? This is why I felt this way. How are we moving forward? And I think there was even one talk we had where we're like, how do we preserve our friendship? And it was mm-hmm. right around like when B was born. And I'm like, I want to share this baby with you but we're fighting. Are we going to fight? I don't know if we're in a fight. And just like we had to develop a shorthand for how we wrote together. Like, I think we now just have a common language about how we talk about race. And I've had to learn how to be more comfortable in exactly the right thing to say. And if I don't, you know, I'm also a person that like, I like to, I like to know things. Right. So like, if I say something, I want to say it with confidence. Mm-hmm. And so I have to be more comfortable with things that I might not be an expert about. And I'm not an expert about race. I'm a, you know, white woman who grew up in mostly white spaces. And I think to your question about the, you know, how we develop the characters, it was most people or a lot of people assume that, you know, I wrote the black character and Joe wrote the white character. Um, But we really wrote both characters because we wanted the book to feel cohesive above all else. Not like it was written by two people, which I'm sure, you know, you experienced Mm -hmm. too. When you collaborate with somebody, it can't be disjointed because people have different writing styles and ticks, even as you mentioned, or, you know, just Marvel. uh, Marvel Marvel is one of my, when we wrote um, marriage vacation together, Christine put the word Marvel in there like 20 times. Oh, really? That's a go-to <laughs> for me, which is such a weird Marvel. word to happen. And then, we all have the ticks. And then when I wrote Charlotte Walsh... Everyone was in the bathroom. Literally everyone had like an emotional confrontation conversation in a bathroom. So it was always a Very toilet strange. involved. It's so weird. <laughs> um, but we wanted the book to feel cohesive. Um, and so we, it was balance of both wanting, I mean, we wanted to write together because we had different perspectives and experiences and we wanted to draw on those different personal experiences. So we did want to put those on the page and those are particular to us, but also we wanted the characters to have their own unique voices um, and the book to feel coherent. So in order to do that, we had to like both have some pieces that were just us and our experience, some pieces, uh, you know, that we wrote together and then some pieces where it was, what would Riley think, what were, you know, what would Jen think? And so it was a collaboration on all those fronts. Wonderful stuff. I've also uh, read that you did an awful lot of research because it's set in Philadelphia. In Philadelphia, I think, Joe, you're originally from the suburbs in Philadelphia. And 
again, you weren't taking anything for granted. You did research. You spoke to residents. You spoke to cops. You spoke to victims of crime. Can you can you tell us how much of that you were doing before, during, before and during the writing, and maybe during the edit? The whole time, mm-hmm. and from the very very first day, we started talking to people um, who were crucial to the characters in our story. So we interviewed a lot of cops and therapists who treat cops and cops' wives, shooting victims, the mothers of shooting victims. And our goal, I mean, frankly, and I've been a part of the media here in the States for 20 years. I don't think it's any different in the UK. The media does no service um, to add humanity and nuance to stories that they think will be great clickbait. And we see clickbait headlines about shootings and gun violence and violence against Black people that do not dig deep enough into the humanity of all of the people behind those headlines. Mm. And that's what we truly wanted to do. It was our mission from the very beginning to not be like, all right, there's a police shooting. That that police officer is the clear-cut villain. Like, we wanted to talk to cops to be like, how does this happen? How do you lead up? Like, what is going through your mind in that split second before you shoot? What is your history as a police officer with being shot at in the past so that you would have that bias that makes you have your gun out of your pocket? And then afterwards, what are the complicated emotions you go through in terms of the remorse and everything that you have to process knowing that you murdered someone, um, um, that you murdered an innocent person? And then alternatively, as like the wife of a police officer, we have our character think, is my husband a monster? How will I live with this? And, you know, so many of the police wives were very honest with us about how they had to be loyal to their husbands, you know, even if they didn't always agree with what their husband's job entailed, this was the person they chose. This is the person they're going through life with. And they had to completely shift their mindset. So there's a lot. And this is normally the point of the uh, interview where I ask what you're doing next, but you're going through all of this again. So what were the what were the biggest lessons you learned from first time round that you're taking through to your to your next project together? I think communication is the key. Like uh, you have to just be open and honest about um, you know what's going right in moment in time, um, which is something that we had to learn to do. And I think it's something that we have to keep up. That's not something, you know, just to be vigilant about that, to make sure that you don't fall into bad habits again. Um, so I think that that's something we'll definitely take and are taking into are taking yeah. in book two. Um, so I think the willingness to be a little more flexible and less rigid with what, with, our initial ideas mm-hmm. um a very good we have, we have two good examples from book one and from book two so book one um and because this is a podcast for writers and and readers like people will really appreciate this the book was entirely written in third person and was due in two weeks mm-hmm. and I called Christine and was like are you sitting down <laughs> I have an idea um, I knew nothing good was coming next. <laughs> no good conversation starts with, are you sitting down? Like, it's, you know, it's not like you're sitting down on the lottery. You know, I guess maybe that hasn't happened to me. <laughs> um, I was like, I think we need to rewrite the whole book in first person, <gasps> the entire yes. book for a lot of reasons. We just wanted it to be more emotional and there was some distance in it. And Christine trusted me enough at that point. because we'd already gone through all of our shit to be like, try it and show me, try it with the first two chapters. Mm -hmm. And 
it did work and we did it and we still made our deadline and it was good. And, but I think we have a lot more ease with that flexibility because yeah. I called you on book two and I'm like, it was book two was originally like, you know, one character one and then another character the same way we did book one. And I was like, I gotta get rid of the one character. I'm like, there's too much of it, like way less of her on the page. And you were fine with it. You're like, all right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think now we have, you know, I mean, I'll oftentimes get a mind meld in general, but that was, I mean, you did do the, are you sitting down uh, moment, but after oh God, you did the first so one, nervous. I was, but I had already felt the same. Yeah, so like yeah, sometimes yeah, like yeah, we're, we're we reaching the same conclusions yeah. at the same time. So that wasn't even, I will admit the whole first person caught, completely caught me off guard, but mm. the, that we needed to change the structure of the story, you know, was like, yes, exactly. You know, I was thinking the same thing. Can you talk about the the actual mechanics of day to day writing? Were you both off writing separate things and then meeting at the end of the day and, and, and comparing notes, or was it a, a, you know every other day kind of thing? What what were the actual mechanics of that? We worked every day for sure, and Joe is the hardest working person I know, um, and is uber productive, uh, and so that's a good quality to have in a writing partner. Cause that really, you know, she pushes me. Um, I mean, I'm pretty driven too, but not as driven as Joe. And so it's like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to get this done. Um, but so we also we have day. the same work ethic, which I think is really important in a partner. Um, cause I've partnered before with a person who did not have that work ethic and you feel used and abused and that's really hard. Um, and so like Christine and I both put in the hours. We're mm-hmm. both, we'll, we will always show up. And if she texts me, she can text me any hour. And I'm like, great, I'm here for this. She's like usually the first person I text in the morning mm-hmm. and the last person I text at night. Um, and so once we got to the point where we were both comfortable with the blank page, like one of us would just kind of, cause we had this outline to see the scene and feel the scene and then be like, all right, I'm going in, mm-hmm. I'm going into the dock now. <laughs> and then let, so, and then, you know, it's like, let me know when you're out and then I'll go in. And we work in like suggesting and editing mode, unless it's something really banal. Um, and then it's like, you approve them. And, you know, the book took place over the course of so many Google comments, Yeah, <laughs> which is so interesting. It's like, sometimes we didn't, oh, and I think another thing we learned for book two, so we were in different cities when we wrote, we are not like them for the most part across the country from each other. And we also weren't having a ton of phone calls. We were really just like kind of writing. It's like, and talking on text and, is person together and i've since moved back to the east coast mm, so, so we can see each other more we're yes. trying to do that more often to hash things out because just seeing each other face to face or i mean frankly having several drinks and then being like <laughs> we do good. our best work <laughs> well, we can't write i can't write drunk. i, I wish that i could but um i have to like have a coffee in the morning but we can hash things out and be like what is she like why did she do this and that's so much nicer in person mm-hmm. <laughs> christine has the experience of writing a novel may change you as an editor are you going to be more sympathetic to your authors in future has it it made you soft as an editor oh my god yes i mean as i said like i didn't really understand i mean i had some idea that it was hard to write a book to be honest but i think what i underestimated is the um the emotional component to it how vulnerable and fragile and terrible it can make you feel um i just it's not something that you can experience unless you do it right it's an abstraction and so it's like the old until you walk in the shoes thing or walk the walk (laughs) and now that i've done that i think i am that much more sympathetic to that 
the everything that's going on even around the writing process, right? Of showing people your work and then dealing with revisions and uh, dealing with feedback and dealing with everything else that's going on in your life and trying to write and how hard that can be, right? There's all these other components. So I think it'll definitely makes me a better editor in that way. Just like I think being an editor made me a better writer in terms of like, I'd seen so much about what works and craft and mechanics and I can structure a book in my sleep, you know, just because you, <laughs> you get an intuitive sense of it over, you know, time. Um, and so now I'll, it's been fun to be on the other side because I really do feel like I have the best of both worlds in terms of having really deep experience, you know, doing both and, and not many people do that. So it, it's, it's really cool for me to, to come from both of those perspectives. Wonderful stuff. Well, Christine and Joe, thank you so much for talking about this extraordinary novel. Uh, folks, We Are Not Like Them is out now in bookstores. Go grab your copy right now. And uh, thank you so much for sharing this and hope to speak to you again soon. Uh, we loved thank being you. here. This was thank so you fun. for having you know, us. We actually- we haven't gotten sick of talking about how we write. I we think haven't. Nice, no, I think it's really fun <laughs> to talk about how you write. I mean, we've, we've both made it a passion to share this. Like, it, like It's just really rewarding. We're here for it. Yeah. All the talks. Mark, we're not bonkers. We are not bonkers. It wasn't just <laughs> us. And I have this theory now. I have this theory about these long, long outlines that de- maybe de- a hundred pages, hundred page outline, much? a detailed outline. Okay, so ours was ours was obviously fifty thousand words. Everyone knows that by now. Um, what did that? I can't even remember what that came out in terms of pages. Did we have a longer? But that'd be more than a hundred pages, wouldn't it? In terms of an outline. Uh, around that maybe maybe quite, maybe about quite the same. close yeah, yeah, yeah but how interesting that they also did this this wasn't just us yeah. being completely bonkers no so what's your theory tell us your theory i've got a theory around this i because when i heard that it's funny because we've we've laughed about this for many years on the podcast about how we did this. but i have a theory i think it's probably linked to the fact that when you're co-writing when you're co-writing you have to share a brain and the outline is that shared mm. brain because I remember we talked about this a lot before about the this idea of working with another author. And I remember Shannon Mayer telling me her uh, one of the ways that she's works with one she's working with a huge author, um, uh, Breen something Breen. She's like top ten in the US right now. Crazy. I'll get the name for you. But the way they 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 write a lot of books together, and I believe the way they write it is somebody writes the first chapter and leaves it on a cliffhanger and throws it into the corner and said, right, deal with this. And so it's constant, like it's almost like a game of tennis. It's like they have to keep hitting it back harder and harder. But I remember we really made a conscious decision to sit down and we really wanted to get, you know, the bird's eye view of what was was going to be happening, hence the big outline. So I think maybe it might be something to do with co-authors. I'd be very interested to hear from other co-authors what actually happened. See if this is a trend that we're finding. Um, But that's my theory. I don't know about, what about you? I th- I think there's definitely something in that. Uh, there's there's as w- as always with anything like this. There's there's no one way to do this. You know, you need to find a method that works for you. And if we were to do this again, and we won't, but if we were to do this again, maybe the uh, that thing of me doing a chapter, you doing a chapter, you know, could could work. It's it's an interesting idea. It has a kind of improv feel you know when you do theatrical comedy improv you have the yes and thing you know so yes and and you hand it back to them and there's a kind of generosity of of spirit there and and generosity generosity in your storytelling um 
But I, I, the thing I remember is, yes, we had to, I wanted to ensure that we were both singing from the same hymn sheet, that we wouldn't suddenly veer off in a direction that the other was uncomfortable with. And I wanted us both to be happy with where the story was going, with the themes and the ideas that we were exploring. And I think with Christine and Joe, they're dealing with some very, very contentious issues here. And I think there had to be a meeting of minds so that the two of them, when they're doing interviews like the one they're doing with us and they're, they're asked difficult questions about these subjects, that the two of them can say with confidence, yes, this represents, you know, our feelings, our, you know, our, our, our thoughts about these issues in the story. So I think it's very important for them to, to, to do that. And I think, I mean, when, um, when we spoke to Mark Huckabee and Nick Osler, the two of them were in the room together. So they didn't have to do the document sharing thing that we did and that Christine and Joe did. And those two guys had a kind of a blending where one would write something, the other would write something, but over time it blended into one thing. But I don't think they did a very detailed outline. They did they did like a, a one-pager outline. But I think with Christine and Joe, because they were apart from each other as well, that physical distancing, which is what we had as well, I think that makes a difference too. But it did make me laugh when they said, um, I'm going into the document, let me know when you're out. Do you remember? Did you get flashbacks? <laughs> you know? I'm in Scriv, let me know when you're out I'm of Scriv. I'm in Scriv, yeah, let yeah. me know. Have yeah. you logged out of Scriv? No, I haven't. <laughs> Log out of Scriv! <laughs> you think. We did have one time where it was like, bloody, I'm on the train, like, log out. I've got my hour. This is my hour. I'm going to write. It is. It was, it, it's, that's one of the things that was probably, probably the most frustrating thing, wasn't it? In that there wasn't, like with a Google Doc, the great thing about a Google That's, Doc is two people can edit it at the same time yeah. and somehow they've yeah, worked yeah. out how to not overwrite each other's or they keep like version numbers. I remember back in the day with Scrivener, and I'm not sure if it's still the case, I think it might be, um, if you've got two people working and you're accessing, we had the, we had the file on Dropbox, didn't we? So we were both accessing yeah. this one file and there were, I think there was one or maybe two times when we lost a we little bit of we lost yeah, bits yeah, yeah. forever gone and 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 gone forever because of the fact that like one of us forgot to log out i think it was probably me to be totally honest but um <laughs> but the, but it's so fascinating isn't it it's really interesting i um uh, just to go back to what i was saying before kf breen is the author that, that shannon works with and her yeah her book's like in literally top 10 amazon.com not not like indie charts or like top 10 right right biggest selling books that's who shannon's now co-writing with so <laughs> we should probably get them on at some point but mm. um what's really fascinating as well is that um you mentioned something on there which you said mark and i are never going to write a book again i don't remember <laughs> having that conversation I do. What, I, what, I, what i would say i have a very short memory what i would say what i would say is it's really interesting that christine and joe are writing again. And I actually think, Mark, just to kind of like, like in all seriousness, the first time you co-write with someone is the hardest because I've, I mean, I've done multiple projects in the music industry with, with the same people. And I always remember the first time you do something, you're not only trying to write, or in the case of my, you know, writing an album or writing a book, but you're also trying to work out how to work together. And I think with every co-author partnership, there's that kind of learning curve where you're both kind of working out each other's writing styles, schedules, how you both work together. Um, so I would put out there into the world of the bestseller experiment, never say never. <laughs> well, Who knows? You can never. Um, I, I, I'd co-written script projects before, which is slightly different. Uh, and I, I have done since as well. John and I 
co-write a lot together, John Wright and I. Um, but there's a very clear uh, delineation there in mm. that um, when I'm writing screenplays for John, uh, it's almost uh, I'm doing it specifically for him because he's the one who has to stand on set and make sense of the script. Yeah. And what usually happens is we'll have we're just starting a new story now. We're having conversations about story. We'll put together a one pager. Then I, I will go away and write that because um, I'm generally quicker than he is and then present it to him. And then we'll have further conversations or where we've written in the past. Um, we usually assign each other, you know, tasks. So he's, um, he might focus on action sequences or, or whatever. Um, that, and that's film. That's where there's a very clear uh, chain of command, almost. Mm. Whereas novels are where I escape to, to be an autonomous god in charge of everything I see, <laughs> uh, which I, I quite like. And uh, it's it's not. It was it was the first time I'd shared that space with with anyone else, and it was um, it's it is difficult, and I'm I'm not entirely comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> to be yeah, honest, I mean, know. it has, it absolutely has its challenges for sure. And I think that, I mean, that's why I think the way that Shannon and Kate Efreen do it is quite interesting in the way that it's, it's almost like the first draft is a tennis match where you just, and actually that's how I do it with music as well, which is really interesting. The way we always started a track is I would write or my, my, my writing partner, Ian, he, he, we would start a track and it might just be a drum beat. It might just be a couple of chords, a string, a few strings, a strum on a guitar. And then you, and, and you take it to as far as you want, as you could. And then when the point where you thought, no, I'm, I'm getting stuck with this, you'd send it across. So you always had complete autonomy when it was in your court. And the rule that we always had was you can change anything, take away anything you want, but when it comes back to you, you're allowed to put back in anything that was taken out. And eventually over the back and forth of the tennis game, you end up with the track. And sometimes there's a few things at the end where you kind of like, you're both like, no, I don't like that. I really, I really don't like that. I think we have to take it out. And then you have to make some compromises, but all of that is kind of left to the, to the very end as you kind of play this tennis match, but it's a different, you're right. It's a different kettle of fish when you're writing, but um, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. it's not, it's not, it's nothing to do with you, dear. It's not you. It's me. Um, I mean, if Neil Gaiman got in touch tomorrow and said, Mark, I'd like to co-write a novel with you. I'd still be, oh, do I really want to do this? Um, genuinely, because you couldn't it's, say no, though. Surely, I probably could, um, <laughs> <laughs> because it's 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 my little happy place, and yeah. I like yeah. I like the submerging into it and um, disappearing in it, and it all being mine. And the thing is that the way it's, I think it's something to do with the way I think as well, mm. because I'm not just thinking about that scene. I'm thinking about stuff that's happening two or three chapters down the road and the and think about the ending, sometimes even thinking about the next book. And so there's all this stuff juggling, about, you know, floating about around my head. And if someone else was just to sort of barge in and go, oh, what about this? I'd be, ah, and it makes me irritable. Yeah, it would actually um, kind of get in the you know. way of it yeah no, that's very interesting very interesting so let's let's talk a lot of let's talk a bit about the white screen as well because christine and joe i like this idea the, the blank page is the usual thing that we we think about when we we think of it traditionally as like you know no words on a page but i like the idea of the white screen it reminded me a bit of the blue screen of death that we get on pcs for all us <laughs> pc users there's nothing worse than the blue screen or well, maybe there is maybe it's the white screen 
Um, but I think a lot of people struggle with this, don't they? They, they? they stare at a blank piece of paper and when they're not inspired, they, they don't know what to write. But really, it's just a case of just putting anything on the page to begin with, isn't it? Absolutely. This is why I am, I've switched to notebooks uh, for first drafts. And very often the first words I write are something like, what's this going to be about then? What, what's this story about? What's the thing? And it's, it's me having a conversation with, with myself and it just gets my hand moving and gets the ink flowing. And then eventually I write something that is actually kind of useful. Um, and then you sort of stop take pause okay that's good let's let's branch out from there so um yeah i think just that idea of just free writing just uh putting any old waffle down because this is this is strictly for you no one else has to see this no one else has to um has to ever ever see this so uh you know you can be completely um completely frank with yourself and write things like, I have no idea where this story is going. I have no idea. I'm a terrible writer. What am I doing? I've no Oh, wait, hang on. Here's an idea. Brilliant. Let's go with that. That's, you know, that's the kind of flow that I get into. And I think that's, um, that's helped me a lot over the years, just getting stuff off the ground. Yeah. It's really interesting, isn't it? It's, um, the other thing that, um, that they talked about is whether an editor should always try and write a book as part of their training as an editor. I love that. I think that yeah. was such, and I, I brought the question up for me is that I wonder how many editors have actually written the book or gone through the process of trying to write a book. I'm sure it's probably quite a high percentage. Would you think? I, you know what? I don't know. It'd be so interesting. Know. Maybe I've, we should I've, run a little poll on our Facebook page for all our yeah. editors to let us know, because I wonder, that almost feels like it should be, and I don't know if editors will hate me saying this, but almost like it should be part of the, the training of being an editor is to actually go through the pain of writing so that they I can- I think if you, if you, you know, a lot of people who do an MA in creative writing, part of that is to write a novel. Part of the course is to write and finish something that they present at the end of it. Um, so I think a lot of the newer generation of editors probably have been through that process. Certainly when I worked, you know, for publishers, I would have this conversation every now and then with editors and you'd see the fear, you know, the, the fear of, uh, that they, they love editing. They love what they, they love nurturing writers and helping them get their book over the line and bringing it to life. And that side of it, they absolutely adore, but the, the idea of starting one themselves from scratch, I think, sort of, you know, just from chatting to them, sort of eight out of ten of them, I would say probably would wouldn't want to go there. They're they're very uncomfortable with that. Um, that's just anecdotally, but that's the impression that I got. But yeah, it's it's interesting. We should um, yeah, dig a little deeper in that one. And anything else for you that jumped out in the interview, Mark? Um, just the idea of. Uh, of being flexible with ideas when you are writing with another uh, writing partner. Um, and that is very bold. Although, to be honest, if you were to say to me two weeks before we were due to hand it in, I want to rewrite the whole book in first person, then, yeah. you know, I, 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 you know, no court in the land would, um, <laughs> would, would, would indict me for uh, wringing your neck. So, um, yeah, that's a, you know, that's a sign of the, the, the confidence that Christine and Joe have in each other and the trust, the incredible trust um, that they, that they did that. But that is, um, that is astonishing. I forget. Yeah, which I think, I think it's really that. important, isn't it? To, if, if, if there's even a chance of that happening, you've got to, you've, you maybe if you want to play with both styles, 
at the very beginning of the novel and then make a decision is probably a probably a, a better approach to go with that but um but you hear about this <laughs> happening all the time even with just you know people writing in their own book uh, they they get to a point and they think you know what this might work better I switching it. it over right yeah, and it's that's um, a it's a big old big old job but at the same time you know if it's if it's going to make the book that much better then it's probably time time well invested at the end of the day yeah i did it i did with a novel that actually hasn't been published um a uh, middle grade novel that I was working on and it definitely improved the book but not to the point where anyone wanted to buy it <laughs> <laughs> but you went through the process right so it was everything's yeah. a learning curve isn't it which is brilliant Absolutely. so yeah, yeah, yeah. no doubt will have led to some different decisions you made maybe down the road about how you wrote mm. in future books and, and the like so mm. excellent stuff brilliant well as we mentioned um as we mentioned earlier Mark's movie Unwelcome is coming out and I I've been scouring Mr. Stay oh, the no. um, the YouTube channel. Uh, if you want to watch the uh, the un, the official trailer, you've got to go see it. It's brilliant. Um, that was on our website, wasn't it, last week on the um, show it was, notes? I, I believe, I'll, but, I'll, I'll put I'll put the link in the show yeah. notes this week as well. I, we've heard back from Warners, and they're very very happy with the reaction and uh, the coverage that it's been getting. So it's um, well, I can uh, tell I, you, Mister Stay, without avoiding. <laughs> sorry, do do carry on. You're about to. Uh, no, I was just going to say. It's, I I normally. Um, anything like this, I generally don't go to the YouTube comments because YouTube comments is a well, but especially for trailers, because what they're judging is a bit of marketing in in the same way that we might judge a judge a book by its cover. You know, it's I can't. I've got these amazing covers on my book, but I can't take any credit for them whatsoever. You know, you got the the artist Harry Goldhawk and the the design team at Simon and Schuster. So, um, you know, and the the comments from YouTube can be quite cruel. Well, they and can informed. But, but here's know, the thing: so. you're, you're so right that the front cover of a book is so important because people say don't judge a book by a cover, but we all do, and we all yeah. make a buying decision on whether we like, you know, pick the book up based on whether we the, the cover at least draws us in to pick it up. Uh, and I do think the trailer is a bit like people do judge a yeah. judge a film by a trailer. So, and yeah. it's obviously very hard when you when you've written it and it's all these comments flying. But I'm going to pick out some of the choice ones for you, Mark, because Uh-oh. these are great. Okay. Um, so, so f- firstly, uh, what I will say, Mark, is that there are loads of thumbs ups, and I mean everything gets thumbs down. There are a very very small amount of thumbs down. Great, okay. that's a good okay. sign. That's, that's a good right. sign. There's no pleasing some folk, right? But um, <laughs> some of the some of the so anyone who's actually seen the unwelcome trailer, here is here are some of my favourites. So if you wrote these on the YouTube uh, page, the Warner Brothers YouTube page, um, you'll find these funny, Mark. Um, <laughs> the so in the trailer, the, I mean, without there's no spoilers, but like a couple of moving into this new house in Ireland, um, somebody says thanks, estate agents, for leaving out the part about the blood offering. <laughs> <laughs> There's lots of there's lots of references to the hallow mark. Lots of references to the yes. Hallow. Oh, that's uh, that is a very similar premise, but it's a very it's funny. Pa- Paddy, our visual effects supervisor, when we first sent in the script, he said, "Oh, it sounds like the hallow." The hallow is by a wonderful writer director called Corin Hardy, 
who um, I've met, actually. He's a lovely, lovely guy. But ours is very different tonally. But, yes, I can see on the face of it why the why the premise would seem yeah. very similar. And that's the XVY thing that we're talking about. Everyone's yeah. going to watch two minutes of the trailer and suddenly make their – and there's also a few Gremlin references in there. So, you know, all of the, all of the kind of things that you really want to hear. Obviously, the, 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 the every other third comment is, hold on! Hodor, <laughs> like just all the way through, because obviously Hodor from Game of Thrones is in the movie. Um, one of my favourite comments, I picked them up my, my top three. The estate agent was at number three. <laughs> number two was whenever a trailer starts off with nice music, you know the poops about to hit the fan. <laughs> so thank you for for whoever put that one down. Number two, but number one. Number one, Mark, and you're going to love this. My favourite comment currently, and I might do this each week. Number oh, one, God. seeing the locals, I'm already rooting for the goblins. <laughs> <laughs> no, I take personal offence at well, that. I, was I, play, say, I play one of the locals. in the pub in the yeah. actual trailer, so that's a direct reference to you, Mr. Stay. I think it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. It's so thank it's you. It, it's interesting, the reaction. People... I mean, we've got such a great cast, but people keep singling out Christian Nen, who plays Hodor, and there's such affection for uh, Christian, probably because, one, he is that, it's a terrible cliche, but he is a gentle giant. He's a lovely, lovely guy. And um, I had a lovely conversation with him about his character. And you'll notice that in the film, he plays with a little pink Nintendo Game Boy. And mm. that was Christian's idea. He was saying that, you know, he couldn't afford a new one, so he could only get a secondhand one. And it was pink. And his uh, stepbrother and sister in the film, they, they pick on him for it and they tease him about it. And we were talking about the sort of music because he's always listening to music as well. And he was saying, oh, it'll, it'll, he'll be listening to Swedish death metal. Didn't hesitate. Just like, yeah. Def so little character touches, you know, he's, um, Christian is actually probably more successful as a DJ. He's an international DJ. He travels the world and, and DJs, you know, and does these massive festivals and what have you. Hugely, hugely successful. Um, so loves his which is, music. Which is bonkers because so is Elijah would as well there's something about oh, really like, <laughs> yeah there's something about fantasy actors who act in fantasy movies who go on to have massive dj well careers, christian but, christian was a dj first yeah. then he right. sort of fell into game of thrones because of his physicality yeah and and then he's gone back to djing so you know he hasn't done much acting outside of game of thrones so it's it's really sweet that people are um are latching well, it's that. that people. I mean, I, I love Game of Thrones. I, I I watched Game of Thrones. Just it was epic. Absolutely loved it. And I can see why there's so much love for you know all the characters yeah. in that in that show that have now gone on to do other things. I mean, you know, it, but um, I think Hodor. He's like he's got such a. I mean, such a presence, obviously. Yes. But I think yeah. that character as well. The fact you know that I mean, not warning any spoilers to people who haven't seen it, but um, you know, stuff happens to him, um, and he has a hard run of it, doesn't he? So he's you know i think there's a lot of affection because he's one of those characters who's um i think yes. i think people really kind of connected with on a deep level which you know going back to like writing 
you know, it's about how much you connect with those characters. And it's, it shows it just with every third comment on the, the trailer. Stuff, <laughs> stuff, stuff happens to him in our story as well. I, I was going to say, I'm, I'm sure, oh, yeah. I'm sure after all he's been through on Game of Thrones, he's not going to do anything nasty to Hodor. <laughs> uh, are you? Are you? Mark? <laughs> Excellent. Well, you have to wait and see. I, I don't know. I haven't mm. seen the movie, so um, we'll have to wait and see. But um, yeah, so we'll maybe check in with a few more of those comments. If you want to get your comment seen, go to the- oh, encourage yeah, them yeah absolutely <laughs> okay okay if you're going to do this though folks if you're going to do this if you're going to go to the official warner brothers a lot of comments do a hashtag bxp just so i can pick them out so i know that you've listened to the show and you put it on there specifically for that and then we can have some fun with mark i won't Shows. tell them i won't Shows. tell them which ones are for you <laughs> brilliant stuff well listen mark um it's been <laughs> I think we should probably talk about uh, uh, social media and all the things going on yes. in the world of the Twitter sphere. Let's go there. Um, well, actually, the first one's from our academy. We like to celebrate wins on the academy. And uh, Sean Dyer shared his win with us this week. He says, I'm now over 96,000 words and just working through the feedback from an editor friend of my summary. Uh, all systems go here now. My entire family doesn't have a cold. It's been a long couple of weeks. And these are the realities of writing illness, family illness, having to stop everything to look after the people around you. Um, but yeah, keep going, Sean. Hang in there, mate. Absolutely brilliant. Well done, Sean. Uh, we got a lovely note on the BXP group um, from Andrew Guile, who's one of the supporters of the bestseller experiment over on Patreon. Um, and Andrew, oh, this is kind of heartbreaking, but inspiring as well. Uh, Andrew says, I thought I'd share the rejection I received today for my middle grade novel, Dragon Spire, about a boy and his baby dragon. It's a no, but a very nice no. I won't say who it's from, but this agent requested the full manuscript back in June. So it's been a five month wait. And this is the reply from the, the agent. I, I've had a read through the first half of the story and we'll go on to read the rest because speaking as a reader, I think it's magical. And the bit where Cathar hatches genuinely made my heart melt. This is the frustrating thing about agent, agenting. I'm already halfway in love with the book. And if I thought it would be enough, that would be enough, then this would be a yes from me. Unfortunately, with my commercial agent's hat on, I have to confess that at the moment with the market the way it is, I don't think this is a story I can sell. But please keep in touch. Things change all the time. And Dragon Spire is a story that will stay in my head that I know I'd enjoy working on. So if I speak with any editors I think would be interested, or if I get a sense that the market is changing, I'd love to discuss it more. And Andrew says, I've known for a while now that my story probably isn't right for the market at the moment, but unless something miraculous happens, it will stay in a drawer waiting for a day when perhaps it is right. Until then, I will scribble on in the knowledge that I can write something that impresses an agent. I just need to keep tapping away at the keyboard until something pops out that hits the spot for the market. Until then, I will enjoy carrying on the process. Um, I hope everyone has a productive month ahead. As Obi-Wan always said, may the words be with you. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. That's incredible, isn't it? Because, I mean, firstly, what a really wonderfully detailed response from an agent. I mean, it wasn't a Dear John letter. This person yeah, yeah, was yeah. referencing the book and you could tell that, you know, in another, in another universe for them, they would jump on that book. So take heart, Andrew, because firstly, you know, for somebody to give you that much feedback, that's an amazing sign. Secondly, don't ever give up. Um, yeah. And thirdly, this is just one agent. I mean, this yeah. is just one agent's response. I'm yeah, sure yeah. you've obviously pitched to others, but um, sometimes, you know, the way that I see things, and I, I absolutely fully respect an agent's view on the world because they have got their finger on the pulse. But, you know, like like financial stock pickers, 
nobody really ultimately knows what's no. going to happen next. And um, it might, I, th I think of it more like dating. I think of it more like dating. Mm. I sometimes, I always believe that the right person is out there in the world for you now. It's just, you haven't met them. Um, and I think that sometimes you've got to go through a few coffee dates uh, and hopefully not too many crazy uh, <laughs> dating opportunities to kind of meet that person that really connects with you and your story. And so I say to anyone out there, when you get a rejection like that, that is to me saying, get on, get keep, don't yeah. put it in a drawer, keep it going. It, even if it's just once a week, you're sending out another letter to another agent, keep it going. Don't stop. Keep writing, start that new book, but don't put it in a drawer. Don't leave it because you just don't know when. And we've got proof of that with so many authors that we've interviewed that, you know, it was the, the 20th agent or it was the, uh, you know, the 10th year of them trying, whatever it might be, your story will not end with a book. In, well, it will end with a book in a drawer. I mean, that that guarantee you there's no agent's going to find it in your drawer uh, mm. and, and and publish it. So keep, keep it going because that to me is a massive, massive um, – like thumbs up from a for, for that yeah. novel yeah hang in there andrew it'll Brilliant. happen it'll happen good stuff um another member of the bestseller experiment group on facebook is um is lorna cook now do you remember about a month ago lorna sold a few books to ebury a brand new publisher for her well just a few weeks later she pops up in the bookseller again Avon buys two more books from Cook. Avon has bought two more historical novels from Lorna Cook, taking her publishing with Avon up to 2024. And it, it's, um, uh, you know, she started with The Forgotten Village. She won the RNA Award for new writers. And so she's got, you know, she's got books five and six uh, with, with Avon. So congratulations again to Lorna. It's just astonishing. Absolutely, absolutely brilliant. bonkers. And if, if you're listening to this podcast for the first time, Lorna started writing with the Bestseller Experiment podcast. She she said, I, you know, this was the thing that got her into writing and look what's happening. So continually inspiring us. All I was going to say is, Lorna, how are you going to write all those books? You got a three book deal here, a two book deal. That's like, that's a lot of books stacking up. That's amazing. I can't wait to see where this That's goes. Great, Absolutely fantastic, great, Laura. Great stuff. Brilliant. Keep it and, going. Uh, folks, we've got a special episode of the podcast out there called an Academy All-Stars episode in which Mark Hood, again, member of the Best Seller Experiment Group on Facebook and Academy as well, um, he's got this extraordinary uh, writing streak at the moment and he did the fun little uh, episode with us which uh, again I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to have a listen to that but um, again another academic Saivar Saivar Hal Dorsen um, he said this is a great interview got me back in the chair to write 450 words on my next novel thank you Mark Hood for the inspiration that's why we do this stuff Get people back in the chair, especially Salvar, who writes most fantastic kind of Icelandic uh, supernatural thrillers. Really, really oh, yeah. cool. We'll be hearing a spotlight from from him down the road as well, which would be great. Yeah, don't don't miss that episode, folks. If you're feeling a bit down in the dumps, uh, you might have started Nano Rimo and uh, yes. already have, have given up because you just it's ridiculous, like trying to keep up with what is it, nearly two thousand words a day. Um, Listen to this interview about, you know, slow and steady wins the race and, uh, yeah, pop along to the website to have a listen. And for anyone who's a member of the Academy that's listening to this as well, um, we've sent it out in our newsletter, but we have also done an additional interview with Mark where we really dive deep into his kind of routine and his daily schedules to help you kind of really nail that down. So make sure you don't miss that on the Bestseller Academy as well. 
Brilliant stuff. Well, Mr. Stay, I'm so glad to see you um, still with us, sir. Still hanging in there after the most bonkers week with COVID. Um, I look forward to hearing about uh, the meals that you will start to enjoy that won't be put under that little gap on the door. Have you been eating place for the last like week and a half? <laughs> and other flatfish. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was I was quite sad this morning though with what with our Brian Cranston's connection and our love of Breaking Bad I was expecting you to sharpen a hazmat suit um, to, the, <laughs> to the couple that I saw actually on Sunday on Halloween um, they made me laugh my son actually was running a haunted house full of zombies for their school fundraiser it was absolutely nice. brilliant they had they had hundreds of people go through it and it was so popular that um, they had about 100 people. They couldn't get through it when it when it closed down. But they had they had absolute, like, the whole works. They had the graveyard. They had the smoke. They had a crazy scientist. There were zombies everywhere. They had, they had things dropping from trees, hitting, like, bags of, like, leaves shaped like people, hitting these people. But the funniest <laughs> bit was I was standing at the end watching some of the people coming out. And I kid you not, there were some people coming out with – with three and four-year-olds. And towards the end, there was some chainsaw thing kicking off. I don't know what that was all about. <laughs> but I, I kid you not, the parents were absolutely petrified. And these little three-year-old kids were laughing their heads off like they just had the best fun in the world. It was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> so well done to all the kids at Bellina's High School who set that up and raised money. Very good. They did about $800 in total. So that was brilliant. Nice. So, uh, brilliant. Halloween. Halloween. And I hope everyone enjoyed their Halloween. And... Uh, and uh, yeah, I look forward to catching up, Mr. Stay with you next week, finding out the ongoing story of Unwelcome and your books. And it's a goodbye from Mr. Mark One. And it's a goodbye from Mark Two. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>